0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church of the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. It's important for us to consider how John wrote his gospel, because in the gospel of John, from the very beginning, John is painting a picture of the resurrection, the entire story is a story of resurrection. And so we get to John chapter 20, and we'll get there in a moment, but from the very beginning of John's telling of the Jesus story, he's painting a picture of what resurrection is. He's letting us in on something that God is doing, not only in this moment, which is the resurrection, right? It's the climactic moment when the amps are turned to 11, right? And we shout a hallelujah, but there's also something that has been happening all throughout the story of Jesus. Something that was not just a miracle. It wasn't just like a miracle that folks got like super amped about or excited about, but something that's actually altered the fabric of time, space, material, right? And so John, that's what John is doing. So for that, we're going to turn briefly to John 20. Read one verse and then zoom out for a moment. John chapter 20, verse 1 If you want to kind of just like stay there in your Bible, I think some of that's on your handout. We're just going to read verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The stone's been rolled away. The tomb is empty. Hallelujah. So everything in the Gospel of John has been leading to this moment. But he's been guiding us all throughout the story of Jesus, throughout the Gospel to a certain painting of the resurrection. And so for that, we will consider for a moment how John begins his gospel. How does John begin his gospel, anyone? In the beginning, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that's how John begins his gospel. He doesn't start with a normal kind of Advent Christmas story. He's painting a picture of something that's happening in this Jesus story. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So he's speaking of of Jesus' incarnation, the Word become flesh. So that's John's first hint in the resurrection story that he's painting for us here. But then John goes on further in chapter 2. The first story that John records and tells, he selects it intentionally to tell us about Jesus, is the miracle of Jesus turning water to wine. And there's this interesting verse, if you were to open up uh, John chapter 2, you can do so if you'd like, but you don't have to, in chapter 11, where John kind of adds a piece of commentary at the end of that miracle. He says, and this was the first of his signs. So there's a miracle that happens in John chapter 2, and he leaves this little note. It's just, a, it's just one verse. And he says, and this was the first of his signs. Now, if you're to continue reading the Gospel of John, and we won't do all of it, right? Because y'all didn't come here for Bible class today. But if you're to go through the Gospel of John, you'll begin to see that there are a series of miracles that happen. And they total, he begins to count them. There's two, and then there's a third, and there's a fourth, leading to a seventh. And the seventh miracle that John records in his Gospel is the raising of Lazarus, From the dead. So the seventh miracle. Now, I want you to put on your Bible school hats for a moment. Is that okay? Do you have your Bible school hats? If you don't have your Bible school hats, I believe there's some at the welcome table in the front. You can go ahead and grab one. But put those hats on for a moment. When John's original audience, who were originally reading this book, his gospel, they were Jewish followers of Jesus, when they read, in the beginning, where would they have drawn the connection? In the beginning. What was that? Genesis, Genesis, right? The very beginning. In the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created. That's where the, the whole story starts. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. And so John's getting his readers to begin to think about creation now when with that in mind when john starts counting signs and this was the first of his signs and they culminate in one miracle that was the seventh so you have one two three and you get to seven where's where would his early readers have drawn the connection Genesis right yeah so in the beginning God created and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And in the sequence of creation, you see that happening, right? And there is evening and there is morning, the second day. And you see creation is complete in seven days. And so God creates and there are seven days. And in John, there are seven signs, the last being the raising of Lazarus. Then something interesting happens in the Gospel of John. Jesus is raised from the dead. This would be the eighth sign in John. Now, the, the eighth day is what? Yeah. Well, it's the first day of a new week, right? The eighth day is the first day of a new week. And so the, the resurrection of Jesus, this is the painting that John is creating for us. Luann did this painting here. It think it represents the the linen cloth that was left behind in the empty tomb on the day of Jesus' resurrection. But John is painting a picture here for us of resurrection. And in John, the resurrection of Jesus is the inauguration of a new creation. It is the first day of God's new creation. And so John wants his audience to know that everything has changed and nothing will ever be the same again. The resurrection of Jesus is the defining moment. It's the climactic moment of God's new creation. And so Genesis 1, God creates. He declares it what? Good. And in Jesus's resurrection and new creation, when God announces that everything is being renewed, restored, reconciled through Jesus, can I get an amen? So, In God's new creation, when there was separation from God, there is now reconciliation. Where there was relational strife with others, there's now unity in Christ. Where injustice was the law of the land, God has now begun to set things right. Where sin divided, God has now brought restoration. Where sin brought shame, there is now forgiveness. Abby, thank you. For that poem I think all of us would appreciate a copy of it somewhere at some point that was good where the earth and creation have been exploited God is renewing and redeeming and where death has had its word resurrection and the life were offered through Jesus has the last word amen God has not abandoned our world and left it to ruin this is what John is insisting that he's redeeming renewing, restoring all things. It's good news, right? I think this is, a good, this, this is a good news to us. This is a better way as well of understanding resurrection than simply like a, a get-out-of-jail-free ticket, like a one-way ticket to heaven where things will get better in some other place at some other time, right? no. The announcement of resurrection is that new creation is here bursting forth in the midst of this one. It insists that God's new creation has begun and that the story, if you continue reading Revelation 21, 22, you can fact check me here. It ends with heaven coming to earth in in the finality of God's kingdom. So not with us flying off as disembodied spirits to someplace else at some other time. Okay, you can take your Bible school hats off now. Everyone's like, thank you so much, Ian, for letting me take off that hat. Um, Okay, I don't know about you, but to me that's good news, that God's new creation is bursting forth here in the midst of this one. Does anyone agree? Amen. Okay, good news. Here's the thing, it doesn't always feel like that, does it? It doesn't always feel like new creation is bursting forth in the midst of this one. Question for everyone, and you can kind of just shout out as you want, you want to, what are some of the things you did this morning? It could be like, you know, I put on my shoes, it could be anything, what are, what are some of the things? Eat cinnamon rolls, okay, yes. Anyone else? Baked two casseroles. Not one, but two. Yes. Got a ride. ride. Yeah. Brush your teeth. Yes, me too. (laughs) Your your neighbor thanks you for that, by the way. Whoever you're sitting next to. Yes. Went in the lake. Yes. Amazing. Okay, anyone else? Woke up. Okay, yeah. Now... Some of it, going for a run, maybe jumping in the lake, I think that welcomes new creation. But uh, there's other things, you know, like maybe you went for a walk. Maybe some of you went to a sunrise Easter service, I don't know. Maybe you made time for prayer. Maybe you wrote a poem. So some of the things that some of us did this morning, I believe, kind of welcomed this new creation. But then the rest of it, um, quite ordinary, right? We brush our teeth. We made a pot of coffee. Some of us changed diapers, took out the trash. Now, well, all a bit ordinary, right? If we were to go a bit deeper, which is what I hope we can do today, I would guess that if you were to look beneath the surface a bit more, you would, we would discover of each other and ourselves that our lives are far from ordinary and mundane, and that can actually be a challenge for us on Resurrection Sunday because it, always doesn't, it doesn't always feel like new creation. We're all too aware oftentimes of the real pain, the real sorrow, the real heartache, in, not only in our lives, but in the world around us, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? And so we woke up, we brushed our teeth, but then like we can't pick up the phone and to wish someone a happy Easter because they're no longer with us, right? And so there's something there missing. There's a sorrow that we're carrying around in our hearts or or we woke up this morning and we've been really struggling with a relationship. Something's been going on in our lives or there's something in the news that's been weighing heavy on our hearts, right? Or we've received news recently of a diagnosis for ourselves or someone we love, right? Or we feel stuck in our job. It doesn't always feel like new creation. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so the tomb's empty and the, the linen is there. Jesus' body isn't there. He is risen. He is risen indeed, but we're stricken with sorrow or doubt at the announcement of resurrection and new creation. And uh, we hear the good news, but when we look at our lives, we look beneath the surface, we don't always see it. It Doesn't feel like the amps are cranked up to 11 or just kind of like noisy to us. It's like, why is it so loud? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, now, I think because some of you know what I'm talking about, This is why I'm so grateful for John chapter 20, because on the very first resurrection morning, we read about followers of Jesus experiencing sorrow and doubt, even though it's resurrection morning, even though the tomb is empty. So can we read that for a moment? Yes. Yes? Yes. Okay, great. Thank you. Jordan gave me permission. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb Early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, just wants you to know that, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He's a competitive fellow. Okay. Verse 5 And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Jesus makes his bed. Then the other disciples, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. I'm not sure what they believed because they didn't understand that he had to be raised from the dead. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them. Resurrection morning, she is in distress. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, it's another way of like a wink at creation, I think, right? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, If you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Now, on the morning of Jesus' resurrection, we find Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus's followers, at the tomb. He's risen. It's the first day of God's new creation, but Mary's life here is in shambles. So it seems, at least. Mary is found weeping, sobbing at the tomb of Jesus. It's empty, but she thinks someone stolen his body, right? And she mistakes Jesus for a gardener. A question for all of us this morning. Is there a sorrow you are carrying with you this morning? Is there a sorrow you are carrying with you this morning? We've announced the empty tomb. We've declared he is risen. He is risen indeed. But the possibility of resurrection is shrouded by sorrow, how could it possibly be? And we're found at the empty tomb, weeping. We've announced it, right? Here's why this story is so important. Because if that resonates with you at all, at all, this story gives us permission to be honest about the state of our souls before God. Question, And you can answer this one as well. How does Mary come to realize it's Jesus? In this story, he speaks her name. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And then he says her name, Mary. He calls her by name. Jesus isn't asking us to pretend that everything's okay. He will meet us in our sorrow exactly where we are, as one who knows the depths of our sorrow. Um, I found that to be true in my life time and time again. Now, we'll come back to that in a moment, but we're going to look at one more story from chapter 20. It's going to be a few verses shorter. Um, And from here, um, before we get there, from here, what Jesus does is he sends Mary to the disciples to announce his resurrection, which I think is important because Mary gives the first resurrection proclamation announcement sermon. Uh, And I think that says something uh, uh, interesting, right? The very first resurrection sermon was preached by a woman, and all the sisters in the room said? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Also, notice in all of the gospel's tellings, right, While the men are hiding, they're afraid of their lives, right? We find the women at the tomb, right? Okay, so, side note. So, Mary Mary delivers the message that she had seen Jesus, and then later that day, John again emphasizes in his gospel that it's the first day of the week, Jesus appears to his disciples and announces to them, peace be with you. So that's the message he brings, and he shows them his hands and his side, but there's a disciple named Thomas who wasn't there. You know Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas, which is where we're going to pick up in verse 24, which you have on your handout. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord, we saw Jesus. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, what does Thomas say? I will never believe. I will never believe unless I see that. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, what does he say? Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, This is how Jesus addresses Thomas. Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Like Mary on the... Very first morning of Jesus' resurrection, Thomas finds himself unable to fathom a living Jesus. Zia could fathom this morning. She had some faith for all of us, right? But Thomas finds himself unable to fathom a living Jesus. I mean, listen, listen again to Thomas's words. They're very graphic, they're morbid. Um, and it's very intense, I think. Unless I see in his hands the mark, marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. This is a man stricken with grief and sorrow. He has just seen one of his friends murdered. Not only just murdered, but brutally murdered, right? And how does he end it? I, unless I see that, I'll never believe. It's as if Thomas is saying, guys, we were all there. We saw what happened. I saw what happened, and it wasn't pretty. It wasn't a nice picture. But like Mary's story, this story, I believe, gives us permission to be honest. It gives us permission to be honest about our doubts, our skepticism. And so we ask a question of ourselves this morning. Are you carrying any doubt or skepticism with you today a question to ponder a question to consider are you in a season of deconstruction the faith that you grew up in or found yourself in something about it's not quite working for you anymore and you found yourself deeply skeptical of some things doubting right the story gives us permission to doubt Jesus, notice, Jesus isn't freaked out by Thomas's doubt. He doesn't lose his mind, um, and he's not freaked out by our doubts either. He's not upset. He doesn't say to Thomas, Thomas, dude, I was just raised from the dead. Get over yourself. No, what does Jesus say? He says, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. How does Jesus respond? Compassionately. Put your finger here, right? Put your finger here. See my hands. He meets Thomas where he is in his doubt. Put your hands in my side, Thomas. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus reaches out compassionately to Thomas in his doubt. And I think that should be encouraging to us, right? Because that's where Jesus meets us, Um, towards the end of, I I did go to actual Bible school. They don't give out hats there, if any of you are thinking about it, and then you enroll, and you're like, where's my hat? Um, And there was a season of my life where studying the Bible was incredibly enriching to me in my faith. But over time, you kind of find that kind of if you're just immersed in kind of like the study and kind of like the scholarly world of theology and you kind of continue to see brokenness all around you, you begin to get filled with kind of doubts about who God is, about his goodness, about the reality of resurrection and new creation bursting forth in the midst of this one. And uh, I found myself in that kind of place. I didn't walk away from faith, but I found... Kind of like myself on a path where what had once been life giving to me was no longer life giving. How many of you have been in a place like that before? So I found myself in a place like that. And I went to a conference that I found myself in a space where I was, where Jesus met me in that doubt. And I, he- I heard a, a there's an Irish philosopher named Peter Rollins there. And he had been kind of criticized for having some, you know, he was not a theologian. He was a philosopher. So philosophers are kind of wild and crazy, right? Any of you guys know any philosophers? So they can go off the rails a little bit. And he told this story of, uh, he was at a, a Christian school and there was a debate happening and someone he was on stage with asked him this question. He says, you know, Peter, I don't hear you talk about the resurrection very often. Do you affirm the resurrection of Jesus or do you deny the resurrection of Jesus? And uh, he recounted the story of, of how he engaged that question. He said, you know what? It's time for me to fess up. He said, I deny the resurrection. I deny the resurrection every time I neglect the poor and the needy. Are before me, and I deny the resurrection every time there is someone who is thirsty and they're crying out for a drink of water, and I can provide it for them, and I don't. And every now and again, I affirm the resurrection. I affirm the resurrection when I speak up for those who have had their tongues ripped up. And they don't have a voice, right? And I affirm the resurrection when I care and I stand with the broken, the marginalized, and the oppressed. And it was just a holy moment for me. And I share that story because it was an opportunity to hear from Jesus again and to be invited into the story of resurrection in a new way, to hear a new telling of the resurrection, right? And so Jesus meets us in our disbelief and our doubting and our skepticism, cynicism, deconstruction, whatever word you want to give it. So going to wrap up here. Uh, as we meet with the resurrected Jesus, which is the hope, I think, because the best thing that we can do as a church is not just like listen to someone on stage. This feels a little bit uncomfortable for me standing on stage, but like We're all, like, looking up here and, like, hearing a word, right, or singing along with this, like, the band sounds great today. But the best thing we can do as a church family is to make space to meet with Jesus. Best thing I believe we can do as a church family, whether in worship, preaching, small groups, make space for meeting with the resurrected Jesus and to learn the way Of resurrection. So, with that, um, not only learning and noticing resurrection all around us, but then becoming resurrection people, Easter people, a resurrection church, right? So, as we conclude, just a few things to think about. What does it mean as Jesus meets us in our space to then become resurrection people? First, some ideas. Just take one of them if you want. Abiding. Learning to abide with the Father. Uh, Remember Jesus' words to Mary after she realizes it's him? Jesus says to her, say this to the disciples, I'm ascending to my Father, to my God, and your God. So in light of the resurrection, we can approach God with boldness as his children. Uh, We participate with God in new creation by announcing the good news that we've been called out of death and into life, that death doesn't have the last word. We participate in resurrection through celebration, right? We have 40 days of fasting and Lent leading up to Easter, and then we just have like one Easter Sunday, right? Um, so we're actually going to be doing things a little bit different here this year at Church at the Wall. But for the next several weeks, we're going to be doing an Tide series where we're going to be looking at the theme of resurrection in our Sunday services through our teachings for the next several weeks. So Adam and Abby will both be preaching resurrection sermons and maybe some other folks as well. So they'll be preaching of Jesus' resurrection As well, Um, can I share a a quote from N.T. Wright? Because we want to celebrate resurrection, right? N.T. Wright's a man after my own heart. He says this, but Easter week ought not to be a time when the clergy sigh with relief and go on holiday. We did the big thing, we did the big event, now let's go rest. Then he says this, it ought to be an eight-day festival and I love this part, with champagne served after morning prayer, Hallelujah," and he write, or even before, with lots of hallelujahs, extra hymns and special anthems. I think special anthems is like an Anglican thing, I don't know. So <laughs> other ways we participate in resurrection, working for justice. Things right now we know aren't the way they will be when God's kingdom is fully realized. And so when we work for justice, when we provide clean water for the thirsty food for the hungry, when we steward creation that has been neglected and abused, when we address systemic racism, when we work to eliminate gun violence, when we... uh, (laughs) These all of these things when we work for justice these are not the side tasks of easter people. These are not side tasks. These are fueled by the announcement of resurrection. What else do we do? We create art and beauty, right? Because these are physical reminders of resurrection and God's new creation in our midst. We participate in the sacraments, baptizing and eucharistizing. I wrote that in my notes, so I had to say it. Eucharistizing. Okay, we're gonna wrap up here. On Resurrection Sunday, worship's great, teaching, eh, right? Okay, I'm sure the potlucks will be a good time, but what we're really here for is to meet with Jesus, to meet with the resurrected Jesus in our sorrow, in our doubt for many of us in our celebration and our gratitude for what we're experiencing in our lives. And so we're going to have an invitation in a moment to do that, hopefully, today, through communion. So um, I'm going to invite you all to come to the table once a month. As a church family, we partake in communion, and it seemed fitting to do so on Easter Sunday. And all, everyone, everyone, who desires to draw near to Jesus, to meet with the resurrected Jesus, all who desire that are invited to participate. Now, I'm going to give you some instructions. Um, At each table, there are linen cloths. And um, before you receive the elements, um, there's a linen cloth that, like Luann's painting, represents the linen cloth Found laying in the empty tomb, and you'll so you'll notice that that painting, right? Um, and I wonder, perhaps, if there is not a more powerful icon that captures the vast experiences we all carry with us on Resurrection Sunday than the linen cloth, right? When we gaze upon it, and uh, in, even in the first Resurrection Sunday, and you gaze upon. The linen cloth. And you read in the, in the very first Resurrection Sunday in John chapter 20, we read about doubt, sorrow, elation, celebration. He is risen, he is risen indeed. Electricity, right? Also, sorrow and doubt. This icon for me captures all of those things. And so, um, as you're invited to the, to the table, before you pick up the bread and the cup, I'm going to invite you to just kind of like grab hold of that linen cloth for just a moment and to consider what you are carrying with you as you gaze upon the empty tomb and the linen cloths found laying there in the grave. Jesus' body isn't there. Perhaps there's been a good news announcement, but you're carrying something. Perhaps it's gratitude and celebration. Perhaps it's sorrow and grief. Perhaps it's doubt, cynicism, skepticism. And from there, you'll be invited to meet with Jesus at the table through the bread and the cup. Can we pray? Let's pray. God, as we come to the table, we recognize that we gaze upon the empty tomb we hear the message of resurrection. And we're all carrying different things with us today. But God, we just desire to meet with you, to hear a word from you, to experience the life that you invite us into, God. And so we open our hearts to you. Jesus, I just ask that you, as we participate in communion today, Um, that we would hear you call us by name and that we would recognize you as the one who has stepped out of the tomb and into life and who invites us to step out of the tomb that we find ourselves in, into the life that you freely offer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, And so today, rather than grabbing the elements and then bringing them back to your seats— as you hold the linen cloth and then move to the bread and the cup, um, you're just going to take those at the stations. So it might take a little bit longer, but there are two stations back here. I'm like a flight attendant now. There are two stations back there. There's gluten-free in all the stations. There's uh, one station right there. There's linen at all of the stations. So I'm just going to invite you to hold the linen and to consider what you are carrying and then from there take the bread and the cup and to be reminded that the bread is the body of christ given for you and that the cup is the, his blood which has been poured out for you and so in matthew 26 verse 26 through 28 we read while they were eating jesus took bread and when he, when he had given thanks he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying take and eat this is my body then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Um, and so the band is going to be playing. As the band's playing, I'm going to invite you out. But we don't get to do our normal um, communion liturgy because we don't have projection. We just have lights in our, in our eyes. That's all right. Um, but I will share the invitation with you today the invitation to the table. Oh, would you stand and hear the invitation, actually? Jesus invites you to the table of his grace. Come humbly, not because you have earned a place here, but because you need mercy and help. Come because you love God and want to love God more. Come because Jesus first loved us and gave himself for us. Come because you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Come because you're hungry for what only he can give. Great is the mystery of our faith. We come to the table as many to share in one body. We come across our our differences united by one cup. You alone can make us whole, God. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.